and thank you for joining season two of Monday Morning Book of Mormon class. Previously, this has been called Hidden Treasures, but because we wanted to identify a little more closely with the things that we're studying, it made sense to move it over to this Monday morning when we hold it, Book of Mormon class, which is what we're talking about. So as we start season two, we're going to begin with kind of an unknown story in the Book of Mormon. That is the journey of Mosiah traveling from the highlands of Nephi down to the lower lands of Zarahemla. Also talk a little bit about who was Zarahemla? What did they have in common with the people of Mosiah as they came? And how did they pull together and unite under one king? Fascinating stuff. Glad you're here as we begin season two of Monday Morning Book of Mormon class. Welcome to the Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or class members do not constitute official church doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Well, let's, uh, let's begin uh, today's class. You didn't know that when uh, that Messiah, when he traveled out of the land of Nephi, had a, had a wagon, did you? Realize that looks just a little bit uh, strange, but uh, it'll make sense by the time we get done, I promise. Okay, uh, so... I want to remind you, for those who want to be able to pick up the audio uh, of this class, uh, if you go on to Facebook, there's a Facebook page for the Monday Morning Book of Mormon class, uh, and then uh, you'll be able to pick up the, uh, the podcast. And if you go ahead and click on following or something like that, then the podcast, the audio of this class then comes to you uh, directly. It's on Apple, it's on uh, all those, okay? so. Questions on any of this so far? Clears mud? All right. Okay, let's roll. Now, as we get started, I, I want to do a quick little reminder too. Um, and that is, how do we understand Scripture? And I wanted to give uh, a reminder of uh, two keys. There's a lot of keys to understanding Scripture, but let's just start first of all. Um, I remember when I was... Uh, when I was serving in the, on the High Council in the Plano Stake, and uh, we had a, a, a stake president uh, be released, and he wanted to go around the High Council and say, here's what he'd learned from everybody on the High Council. Kind of nice touch. He gets to me and he goes, and with Brother Hinckley, I can always plan on whatever scripture we're looking at, he can tell us the context, what was going on with that, with that scripture. And he's right. 
because I, I, I believe that understanding the context is so critical if we're going to understand the scriptures. Uh, which, by the way, is one of those reasons why we go so slow. There, there, is, there is a place and a time to say, I'm going to get my reading chart. I'm going to finish the Book of Mormon by December. I will read 15 minutes. I'll get through. Then that gives us a spiritual strength that can lead us during the day. That's reading the Book of Mormon. Now, if we're going to study the Book of Mormon, sometimes if you're really studying, you don't get past one verse in, in your 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, hour. Uh, if you're looking. So one of the ways to make sure is we want to, first of all, always check to see what question or problem prompted the writer. What exactly was going on that prompted them to receive inspiration and guidance and then write it down? So we want, we want to, be, and that is, boy, is that especially true in the Doctrine and Covenants. Sometimes it's a little bit tougher in the Old Testament or Book of Mormon to do that, but wow. Uh, understand the problem. Who are the recipients? Who's it going to? And how does their situation compare to ours? So, so let's say, uh, for instance, um, I'll pick on uh, Brent here for a second. Let's say that, that uh, I wrote a letter to Brent and I said, um, wanted to remind thee that carbs are not good. <laughs> and I send that letter off to, to Brent, and somebody actually gets a hold of my letter and says, oh, Brother Hinckley said, carbs are not good. And they say, so I'm going to liken that scripture to myself. Carbs are not good. Okay. Now, what if in the, in the process of that, he says, uh, he'd written a letter to me and he says, by the way, I've gained 300 pounds, you know, and I'm working in a donut shop. <laughs> and, and all around me, people have gained hundreds of pounds because we're all, we live this, in this world of donuts, you know, and, 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 I, and then I'm writing back to him and saying, I say to thee again, carbs are not good. <laughs> okay. If you just pulled that particular verse out, you'd say, oh, carbs are not good, and I can apply that scripture to me. It works at a certain level, right? But what if you know that Brent has gained 300 pounds, and he works in a donut shop? Wouldn't you then be able to say, okay, you know what? I know other situations that are very similar. That makes sense. Okay? And my situation is like yours. Isn't that cool? Okay? It, it connects better. Yeah? I applied that part to me, and it turned out it didn't have anything to do with cars. <laughs> yes, context matters. That's I hadn't thought of that one, but that's really good. Another hand. Okay. So we want to understand the context, and that sometimes then try to understand as much the history as possible so you understand how not just the verse matches, but our situation matches their situation, and now it lives. Because in some cases, let's say that you're reading uh, uh, Philemon in, the, book of, in uh, the Bible, New Testament, and you say, okay, it's important that you be good to your slaves. Okay, I guess... 
the scripture says I'm supposed to be good to my slaves. <laughs> well, without knowing the situation, what's going on with Odysseus and all, all that kind of stuff, you wouldn't know that maybe my situation doesn't match up. Okay? So, context matters. The other thing then that, that will help, and it's gonna, we're going to really see this today, that is that it's important that we, we see divine patterns. The Lord does things in a certain way, and it repeats over and over and over. Um, and when you start looking at those patterns, now you begin to see when there is a problem, wait a minute, I know how the Lord does this. This is what he did in this situation, he did in this situation, and I'll bet he's going to do that in this situation. And sure enough, he does. Because you can almost be expecting what's coming next. You're going to fill in the gaps if you understand the pattern. Because the Lord is actually, in some ways, very predictable. It's easier for his people to have faith in him if he does things consistently, and you know what's coming, then it works really well. Okay? So, to do that then, let's hop in. Let's do a little uh, Book of Mormon understanding. Because now we're going to look for a pattern, and we'll look at the way that, uh, that things were actually done. Nephi does a very interesting thing in, uh, when, they, when they get to, uh, when they're in the, in the promised land, and he knows that it's important to write. And he's going to write, but he's going to look at it from the prospect, and he's, and he's under divine direction to do it, that he splits things out. On one side, we're going to get the account of the prophets. That's what they call it, the account of the prophets. We call it the small plates. The accounts of the prophets, and these prophets are going to come in a linear line, and they're going to come from Jacob. And in fact, in the words of Mormon, it'll say, these records that went from Jacob all the way down to the, the present day. So they start basically the words of the prophet. And it says, and so uh, Mormon is going to say, I took these plates and they, it went from Jacob down to here and some of the words of Nephi. So he really didn't necessarily count on the words of Nephi. So Jacob is going to write and he's going to hand it down to who? Enos. Enos. Okay. So we're going to go all the way down down to Abinadom with a, with a number of writers in between. I want to break it down to Abinadom because we're going to talk about something kind of important there. And then from Abinadom to Amalekai. And these guys are all, all going to write. Now, what's the other record that's going on simultaneously with this? It is the, it is the record beginning with Nephi the second because they always they named the kings no matter what you were born whatever your name was when you were born kind of like the popes whatever name you were born with doesn't matter as much as when you take on that kingship now you have a kingly name you get a new name when you become a king you get a new name when you become a king now, 
So, so we know that uh, whatever Nephi's son's name was when he became a king, he was called Nephi the second. Okay? So this then is going to go all the way down to who was the last Nephi king? Hey, we don't know. <laughs> How come we don't know? Where do we find, where do we find these, the, these records? Where is the side of, on the on the line of the kings? The record of the kings was the large plates. This is what Moroni or Mormon abridged, and then he he the abridgment was there, and we can find that abridgment in the 116 pages, the book of Lehi which covered this period of time, and Mormon was drawing from the large plates. So where are, where are those 116 pages? Ask Lucy Harris or somebody, because it, it be long gone. Uh, keep hoping somehow that, and she swear, by the way, Lucy Harris, Martin Harris's wife, as a, as a devout Quaker, committed to honesty, on her deathbed said, I did not take or destroy those pages that Martin Harris brought. Then it was Satan. It was probably Satan. It's all good. Yeah. Martin had shown it to so many people, it was kind of known that he had them. Anybody could have stole them out of, out of that, uh, that Chester drawer that they were using it. Uh, okay. But, uh, so we don't know. Uh, so the history of the kings, which is what Mormon drew from, to do his abridgment um, is, is basically lost to us. Now, at the same time though, there are clues inside the Book of Mormon that tell us what might have happened during that, that stretch in the pages that were lost. We get these little clues, and some of it is conjecture, we're guessing a little bit, but it's kind of fun, okay? I, w I took this to Abinadom because I don't think we realize how big a deal Abinadom was. Because it was contained in the small plates. Uh, now, let me give an idea of Abinadom. Who was Abinadom? Well, let's go to... I'm going to hop over here to the scriptures, and we're going to go to, um, why don't you come with me to Alma 10, and this is the time when Alma and Amulek are preaching. They're preaching away, and Alma gets up and says his thing, and then the people go, ah, you only sent us one guy, we're not necessarily believing this guy, Alma, so then Amulek stands up who took in Alma, right? In fact, let me expand this out a little bit. Is that a little better back there? Hi. What's that? Is it? Let's see. One or two? A or B? B. Okay. 
I heard a comic once, he was talking about the fact that uh, you get your glasses and you're driving down the road and you run into somebody and you go, I should have said me, I should have said me, I couldn't see what was going on. <laughs> okay, look, look at what happens. He's going to, Amulek is going to start and he's going to give him his bona fides. Okay, here's his bona fides. I am Amulek. I am the son of Gidgadona, who was the son of Ishmael, who was a descendant of who? Aminadi. Ah, who was Aminadi? Oh, we all know Aminadi, right? Of course we know Aminadi. Why? Because he, it was that same Aminadi that you guys know by legend who interpreted the writing which was upon the wall of the temple which was written by the finger of God. How about that? Remember that story? No, I know you don't. <laughs> it was in the other place. Okay, now. Uh, but it was that same Abinadi. Now, uh, what's interesting that, uh, I'm not going to take time to do it, but there is, if, if for fun, is this the first time that uh, the Lord has written on the walls of the temple? No. no. Anybody know where else? In the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, where? The book of Daniel. Okay. In the book of Daniel, Daniel's getting hauled in because the king is freaking out. Why? Because he was in the, he was in his, uh, they were making fun of um, Nebuchadnezzar making fun of the Hebrew temple because they had hauled off the uh, the table of showbread and and the incense. I mean, they had a, they were making fun of the temple, and in the middle of all of that, the king looks over and has a vision and he sees this hand writing on the wall, and he, but he couldn't interpret it. So then he calls in Daniel. Because Daniel had done that thing in prison, right? Daniel shows up and goes, yeah, I can interpret that. He said, what does it say? And there were like three words that basically said, oh, king, you're out. <laughs> you done bad, you're gone. Your line dies with you. Okay? That's fascinating to me. Uh, oh, king, this is where it ends for you. Your line will not continue as king, and Cyrus came in and took that out, right? So it didn't continue. Isn't it interesting that Amenadi is, is interpreting something on the temple that by their history, if they go back in the brass plates they're looking at, by history it said, as a king you're about to fall. Now, let's go back so we're now back to Omni. Um, look at Aminadam. Aminadam. I'm the son of Chemish. Behold, it came to pass. I saw much war and contention. And my people, the Nephites, the Lamanites, I with my sword have taken many lives. Eleven. Behold, the record of this people is engraving on plates, which is had by... The kings, the record of the people, that's over on the king's plates, right? And I know of no revelation, save that which has been written. <laughs> For example, written where? 
on the wall, right? Now, the prophets are writing, and I'm in this direct line from Jacob, so I've done some writing, but I don't know, there's not a lot of revelation going on. We've kind of run a bit dry here, okay? I know of no revelation. Um, so, so what he's going to do, um, and then Malachi is going to be the, the next prophet in line. But I want to go back just one step here to verse 5 in Omni. Because something else has happened here, catastrophic, where these Nephites living in the land of Nephi. Look at what happens in verse 5. What happens in at 350, 320 years had passed away from leaving Jerusalem. So that makes it about 200 BC. What's happened? It came to pass that 320 years had passed away and the more wicked part of the Nephites were destroyed. There's been a catastrophic moment. Massive war and it's killed off the majority of the most wicked of the Nephites. So that's the moment here and it's right in this period of time that Amenadi sees the writing on the wall, literally. Okay? Uh, and the Lord would not suffer after he laid him out, that they should all be destroyed. And he says, inasmuch as you prosper, uh, don't keep my commandments, you're not going to prosper. Uh, therefore, um, the Lord did visit them in great judgment. Verse 7, he did spare the righteous that they should not perish, but delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. Oh, how did he do that? Well, here's, here's the problem. Go back to here. How's the prophet line doing? Coming from Jacob. How are they doing inspiration-wise? Kind of dwindling, right? It's not going good. How are the kings doing? Well, they're leading them into wars and they're being mostly destroyed. Okay, now hang with me. What is the Lord's pattern when everybody goes south? What does he do? Cleans house. He cleans house. And then what does he do? He calls a new prophet. He calls a new prophet. Generally by theophany, by a vision, something. He's going to call a new prophet and in essence kind of start over. Okay? Does that make sense? Bear Colton, you were... Uh, so back in the book of Jeremiah, verse 2, the prophet there says, Yeah... We have a lot of revelations and stuff, but what more could I write? My fathers have already written about the yeah. salvation and explained it. What more is there? Yeah. That's all we need. Yeah, and they're not getting anything new. They're just saying, okay, we, we seem to have got it. Well, they're not saying that they're not getting anything new. They're just saying that there's nothing worth writing. It's I know. It could be that it's all been said, or it could be we're not looking very hard. Because the whole Book of Mormon then continues on to get more revelation. Like Alma going, hey, what happens after this life? I don't know. I asked and got a revelation. So it, it's really kind of hard to know. So, okay. So what happens in a case where things, there's not a lot of writing going on here, and the kings are dwindling? The Lord then does an interesting thing. He then calls a new prophet. And in this case, that new prophet's going to be 
Mosiah. Now, as far as we know, he's not of the kingly line. The Nephite line of kings seems to be ending. He's not in the prophet line. Why? Because we know that uh, Aminadom is, is uh, handing some things off to Messiah, as will Amalekai. He's going to hand things off to King Benjamin. There's a whole new line that's starting here. Does that make sense? Okay, so we've got Mosiah, and, and then uh, Mosiah is, is going to be called by the Lord. And what is Mosiah going to do? Well, back to the scripture. Okay, look at 12. So here's a Malachi. I am the son of Abinadam. Behold, I will speak unto you concerning who? Messiah, who was, interesting word, made king. He wasn't king. He's not of the kingly Nephite line. He was made king. Okay? Made king over the land of Zarahemla. For, and here's what, here's what he did. He was warned of the Lord. Think Lehi, you know, for instance. He was warned of the Lord, uh, maybe by the writing on the wall, is a, is a possibility, it's a guess. I, he was made king over Zarahemla, and he being warned of the Lord that he should flee out of the land of Nephi, and who's going to go with him? As many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord should also depart out of the land with him into the wilderness. Prophets get this direction, and very often, what is a prophet told to do? Like Brigham Young. You got to leave. Like Lehi, you got to leave. Uh, like Moses, you got to leave. But uh, Mosiah may have been king of the Nephites, but he was made king of the and, that, and that's a possibility. That, that's really a possibility. But his name should have been Nephi. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. So, but he's the son of King Benjamin. Is, that, is this not the same Messiah that's the son of King Benjamin? Hold on. That's right. Hold on to that. Okay. I'm going to try. I'm going to do the genealogy in just a sec. Okay. This is this is Mosiah, and I know that Hugh Nibley believed. And remember, kings often take on a new name that is different from the name that they were born by, okay? Hugh Nibley's guess, this is just Hugh Nibley's conjecture, which is usually much, much smarter than most of the rest of us, believe that Mosiah was a compilation of the names Moses and Josiah. Josiah being, I'll start the kingdom over afresh, and I'm going to adhere more closely to the to the texts. Okay? Could have been Mosiah could be a Moses Josiah Mosiah. But he okay, does that make sense? Okay. Alright. So so he's now being he's and so what what happens here? It came to pass that he did according to the Lord had commanded him, and he departed out of the land into the wilderness. <clears throat> now this story of Messiah's great trek from the land of Nephi and then down into the land of Zarahemla. You know, for those of us that have like a, 
that, that really are kind of believe in kind of the, the uh, Mesoamerican model, maybe like the highlands of Guatemala down into somewhere in the Yucatan, or if it's the other way, it's just, but, but high to low. We're going to go from here through a wilderness and down, okay? Well, interesting thing is, we, where is that story recorded of Mosiah's great trek with this band of righteous people like Alma leading his people? Where is that story? And that large plate would have been abridged by, by Mormon, who then put him into the 116 pages, which we don't have. So it's one of these great unknown stories. We don't have this thing. But here's a fascinating little tidbit. Uh, because uh, there's a book come out just recently on the lost 116 pages by Don... Look at the name. Don... By Don Bradley. So Bradley, I think it is. Okay. Anyway, it's funny. He alludes to the fact that uh, well, he, he doesn't allude. They found a interview that Joseph Smith Sr. gave to a man by the name of Latham in Palmyra uh, in 1830. Joseph Smith Sr. having been able to kind of look at some of the, when he'd go down to Harmony, he was able to look at what was being translated. So he, he was actually to read or he heard stories from Joseph Smith. What Joseph Smith Sr. told this man Latham was a couple of very interesting things which could be totally off because it's just Joseph Smith Sr.'s memory and Latham writing it down so it could be complete kerfuckle, fluffle. Okay? Could be just Okay, for those of you listening on the podcast, let me hop in here because I think in the process of teaching the class, as I was walking around, I had my microphone in my pocket um, or the, the recorder in my pocket. What I'm thinking happened is that in speaking, I might have bumped up against a pew or something like that, and it turned the microphone off uh, so that we were, uh, you've got this live class about 30 minutes in, and then suddenly I disappear, um, and it just and it just stops. So I wanted to add this uh, edit onto the end, so you get the the rest of the the story here. So I I apologize. Uh, so the rest of this won't be live. This this is me trying to fill in the blanks uh, of uh, the rest of the class. <coughs> so we're just talking about uh, this great story that. Uh, about how uh, uh, Joseph Smith Sr. is giving an, an interview to a uh, man by the name of Latham in Palmyra in 1830. Uh, we have a lot to believe that uh, Joseph Smith Sr. had a chance to either hear from Joseph uh, what was on the 116 pages uh, or had a chance to read some of it himself when he went down to Harmony uh, to visit while it was being translated. Anyway, He's got some interesting information. It's not all accurate. Some facts are mixed up. Uh, but he's going to give this interview. And part of the interview, and why this becomes important, as we were just talking about, um, was the fact that it, it records some of the information about this journey of uh, Mosiah, uh, who is leading his people out of the land of Nephi, the original place where Nephi uh, landed and, and Lehi uh, out of that land and down into the lowlands 
where they're going to discover uh, some people here in a second. Uh, but what they what they do in this journey is that uh, the the Latham letter, the La the Latham uh, recording of what he heard from Joseph Smith Sr. was the fact that uh, along the way that that Mosiah, not yet a king, but prophet Mosiah. They, they're able to find some of the remains of the Jaredites, and from that they get the Jaredite interpreters, uh, the Urim and Thummim, and that these Jaredite interpreters will lead him successfully through the wilderness and lead them to this group of people that they're about to, to find. It, turns, it says that the Leo, he had the Leahona, somehow he'd gotten that away from uh, the king, in, in uh, the land of Nephi and it works to until the interpreters show up and then from the interpreters it is able to then lead them to this this people down in the land of Zarahemla and it says uh, by the gift and power of God they were led um, now so they're going to come down out of out of the the highlands they're, they made it they make it safely they get to this land, and, and if you're following along in, in the Book of Mormon, an interesting thing that it, it does here. Uh, in verse 13, it says, They were led by the power of his arm to the wilderness till they came down to the land called the land of Zarahemla. Why Zarahemla? Well, it says they discovered a people who were called the people of Zarahemla, named after their king, King Zarahemla, okay, who was a descendant of King Zedekiah, back to Jerusalem. But notice what happens here in uh, the beginning of verse 14. And they, quote, discovered a people. 15. Behold, it came to pass that Mosiah discovered the people of Zarahemla. Verse 16. They'd, th this group of people had crossed the great waters into the land where Mosiah, quote, discovered them. 17, at the time that Mos Mosiah discovered them, over and over and over, um, we're being told uh, as, as uh, Amalekiah is writing here that Mosiah discovered these people. Well, think about who he discovered who he discovered was a group of people uh, that have a shared ancestry with uh, the Nephites coming out of the land of Nephi. As Mosiah is leading them down, he's led to another group of people who, if they are from King Zedekiah, they are also Israelites. Of all the places he could go and all the people he could run into as they're trying to flee the Lamanites, they discover a group of people who are also Israelites and that they share with them their shared ancestry back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They go back and they share with them the shared uh, promises and covenants that were made to these people. They are fellow Israelites. Now the difference with them is we're going to find out uh, in verse 17, they'd had many wars and serious contentions. They'd fallen by the sword from time to time. And as a result of all of that and the battling and probably the in, 
inbreeding and connecting with the, the surrounding tribes around them, their language had been corrupted uh, and, and it was easy to be corrupted because they brought no records with them. So as a result, these Israelites denied the being of their creator and Mosiah and nor the uh, and and Mosiah and the people of Mosiah couldn't understand them. So we might look at ourselves and say, what happens when we discover somebody that we actually have a shared uh, history with? Maybe somebody investigating the church. Look at what what he does. First of first of all, he's got to go to in verse eighteen. It came to pass that Mosiah caused that they should be taught in his language. We have to find a way to communicate and connect with these with these people. Um, now, as, after they've done that, it turns out that they're after they're taught. Zarahemla then says, well, let me give you the genealogy of my fathers as best I can remember, according to his memory. So there's kind of a verb, he has a oral verbal history of his ancestors, which they're, to their joy, find that goes back across the great waters, back to King Zedekiah in Jerusalem. And ultimately then they're written down but they weren't written down in the small plates. They're probably written down uh, in other plates uh, that we don't have. Now, as a result of that, so Mosiah's going to discover them. He's going to teach them his language. By teaching them his language, he can also open up to them uh, the brass plates, the information that they have about their creator, about who they really are, about their ancestors, and about the covenants that their fathers made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So as a result of that, it, it comes to pass that the people of Zarahemla and of Mosiah did unite together. They have a shared history. They have a shared set of covenantal promises. They unite together and Mosiah the prophet is now appointed to be their king. So that's quite a step for King Zarahemla to say, I will allow Mosiah to be uh, the king because he has the language, he has the understanding, and he has one other ability that would kind of cement his, uh, his legacy to be the prophet. Uh, and, and to be the king, because it says that in the days of Mosiah, they brought a large stone to him with engravings on it. And what does he do? Well, using the Nephi, the Jaredite interpreters, the Urim and Thummim, he did interpret the engravings of the gift and power of God. Turns out he's also a seer and a translator of records. Well, that's going to give him great power. Uh, in the eyes of the people of Zarahemla, if they had any doubts at all, now they have this this man among them that not only taught them their language, turns out that he told them who they were, told them about their history, ah, but now also he has the ability to interpret the engravings uh, of God. Um, so that that's that's quite a that's quite a tale that we're getting here. Okay this challenge that we have sometimes of the uniting of people is is quite a deal. Uh, think about, for instance, um, with uh, the Apostle Paul 
as the Apostle Paul is, is taking the gospel of Jesus to the lands of uh, he's taken outside of Jerusalem and he's going to the Gentiles and to the Jews he's going to land in places like Corinth and the first thing he's going to do is talk to the, the Jews in the synagogues and some of those and as he explains the 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 mission of Jesus and who Jesus was uh, the Christus Victus the victorious Christ who has come that there begins to be converts among the Jews there are going to be converts among what we call the God fears in Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica and stuff like that people that maybe worship with the Jews but they're not Jews they haven't officially uh, joined but then also in his tent making things in Corinth for instance he's going to talk to uh, Romans very Roman city uh, and so you've got Romans that are going to believe in the gospel and and that there is another king who has been resurrected crazy enough that this king was uh crucified on a tree but they start to join you've got you got ethnic Greeks and their wisdom and their philosophy that they will also begin there's a group of them that begin to accept so think about what happens in in uh, small little house churches uh, like Aquila and Priscilla's uh, little church house church in Corinth for instance and Paul's going to look around and say I have uh, Jews and I have God fears and I have Greeks and I have Romans and we're all going to sit down and worship together and as was their tradition and we're going to eat together well that's why the fireworks would begin that would be awful because for the Jews it's like I've never eaten with a Gentile before and and uh, the Greeks are going to go, well, these are just Jews. They don't know very much, and they're not very sophisticated, and what, what are we doing here? How, how crazy is this? But uh, somehow Paul had to find a way in these small little house churches all over uh, the Mediterranean. How do I unify groups of uh, different people to cause them to be one so that they're no more strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God it's exactly what what uh, Mosiah was tasked with uh, to have to do that in fact it's interesting that uh, his son Mosiah's son that we're going to talk about uh, in our next class Technically, if you're following the, the Nephite tradition of things, the next son after Mosiah should be Mosiah II. Well, Mosiah II, it will actually be his grandson. His son, instead of taking the name, the kingly name of Mosiah II, he will take the kingly name of King Benjamin. Why, why Benjamin? Well, if you go back to, uh, if they look at their history, Israel was united under three kings uh, Saul and then David and then Solomon Saul who is going to be the first king appointed we know that story he's the first 
you might ask, uh, and should ask, what tribe did King Saul come from? And as it turns out, he comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin the uniter. Benjamin the uniter of Israelite tribes. And they will unite under a Benjamite uh, descendant. And so it's, it's not a few uh, Book of Mormon scholars believe that King Benjamin, whatever name he was born with, takes on the kingly name of King Benjamin as a message that he will unite the those of Judah under Zarahemla and those under uh, Manasseh, the Nephites, and he will unite those tribes so that they can be one uh, together. That's going to be uh, King Benjamin. And so he's going to bring them all together. Um, now, one of the ways that we know this, by the way, is that uh, Amalekai apparently is one that traveled with, uh, with Mosiah down into this land. And he says that I was born in the days of Mosiah, and I have lived to see his death. That would be in Zarahemla. And he sees Benjamin, his son, reigns in his stead. Um, now he will do uh, one other thing and that is that he's going to uh, as as uh, Amalekai is, says he's getting old and he doesn't have any seed, he, ha he has no kids um, and so now what's going to happen, he says I know that King Benjamin is a just man and I'm going to deliver these plates unto him so think about these, these uh, plates of the prophets we tend to call them the small plates um, you're going to take these small plates and instead of having a he would have had a, a, a he has no son turns out he has a brother um, we'll talk about him in a second he has a brother but his brother is going to go back to the land of Nephi to try and inherit re-inherit the land and but so what he's going to do is he's now going to turn what has been the Nephite line of prophets, the record of the prophets, the small plates, he's going to give them to King Benjamin because he's a just man. And I'm going to deliver these plates unto him. Um, and, and then he gives us his testimony, you know, come unto the Savior, offer your whole souls, and continue in fasting and prayer. Now, uh, from there then, um, and that's going to lead us into the book of Mosiah, we're going to find now what King Benjamin does. Um, thought it, one interesting thing, though, that I would end with, <coughs> with uh, Amalekiah, he doesn't have a son, so he's going to hand the records to King Benjamin. But he says, um, down in verse 30, I, Amalekiah, had a brother who also went with them, and I have not and with them meaning those that are going back to the land of uh, Nephi we, and we know that turns out to be Zenith uh, the father of King Noah but Zenith is going to go up to that land and Malachi says I had a brother who had he stayed probably would have gotten the plates instead of King Benjamin I had a brother who went with them and I have not known concerning them uh, so with that sense brother's gone no seed I'm going to lay down in my grave. These plates are full. Amen. And he gives him off to, to Benjamin. Okay. 
Is it possible that we could know uh, from, from a trivia standpoint, not important to our salvation, from a trivial standpoint, the name of Amalekai's brother? Wouldn't that be fun? Well, as it turns out, we have a really good possibility. If we go over to um, Alma 10. In, in Alma 10, we have Amulek, who is backing up uh, the preachings of Alma, who he took in to his house. And then, and remember, he, Alma starts to preach to the 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 people, and they they're going to reject Alma because you know we don't like what he's saying, but he's only one dude, and we're not sure we we should follow him. And so, if there's only a second guy, well, the second guy stands up, says, "I am Amulek," verse two, Alma uh, ten, verse two. I'm Amulek. I'm the son of Gidgadona. Okay, who was? the son of Ishmael, who was a descendant of Amenadi. Uh, and we think that that's just a, a slight change of Amenadam that we have back uh, with Mosiah. Amenadam, uh, I'm a descendant of Amenadi, and, he says, it's the same Amenadi who interpreted the writings upon the wall of the temple that was written by the finger of God. And Aminadam and Aminadai was a descendant of Nephi, okay, and who comes out of Manasseh, who's the son of Joseph, and I'm I'm descended to them. But look at this, we get this little teaser. I am Amulek. I'm the son of Gidgadonai, who was the son of Ishmael. And then back to Aminadai or Aminadam that goes back there son of Ishmael. Well, this descendancy going back to that group, uh, if they're not, if he's not being tied through Mosiah, it's a pretty good chance that Amulek's brother is Ishmael. And that Amulek is going to descend then from Aminadam or Aminadai down through Ishmael and Gedona to be there in in the city when Alma shows up. Anyway, so I th- I think uh, part of part of what we get here, a couple of final lessons that I think become really powerful. Uh, number one, it's really important to see how uh, that sometimes the righteous. Because they're righteous, and as the wicked begin to destroy each other, uh, if the Lord doesn't have a prophet or a king that he can rely on, he will call another prophet. In this case, Messiah. He will call another prophet, who will then step up, be led by the the hand of the Lord, probably by virtue of a vision, uh, spiritual calling. Uh, he will endow him with power like the ability that Messiah had to uh, interpret records and that he will then lead a, a people into the wilderness like Lehi, like Moses, like uh, Brigham Young uh, leading the saints across the plains, um, like Alma who will do the same thing leaving King Noah. I mean it's just there's this pattern that's always there, right? Um, 
And one of the things, though, that will happen is that this prophet will need to be a uniter of different peoples and bring them together under one name, under one head, like Paul had to do. We, ha- we may, be, sh- we may dis- be discovered by a prophet, but we, may, but we still live in the world where we have different beliefs and ideas from other people, and we have to house them under one roof. In the case of Paul, it was these small little house churches uh, all over the place. In the case of you and I, it's we have to be reunited with the people in our ward that we didn't choose to be with. We didn't choose our, the, the people in our ward. We were put in a geographical setting in our ward, and everybody in that geographical area will come to that same ward. Oh, you're in that area, you're in the first ward. Oh, no, you're over there, you're in the third ward. Now, we may like those people. It might be people that we wouldn't have spent any time with or ever known in our life. Um, and I, I love this model for, for the LDS church. Uh, other churches tend to go find the people that are like them, and they will gather to their, to their church home. But that church home will be people that tend to be like-minded like them. Um, the wealthier will tend to congregate in certain churches, maybe the poorer uh, in, a, in another church. Um, one ethnic group may tend to be drawn to a church that looks and sounds like them. Our geographical churches, the genius of what we have is that we are going to be specifically placed in with groups of people that we don't know, that we might not have spent any time with. What a great little deal that is. Uh, and I think that was the challenge for Mosiah and King Benjamin actually had to really take that on. How do I take the people of Zarahemla and mesh them with the people of Nephi uh, after we have, quote, discovered them? Well, brothers and sisters, I, I bear in my testimony that these words, this transition period, taking us from out of the land of Nephi down into the, the land of Zarahemla, sets up the whole rest of the, the Book of Mormon. But it comes because a prophet was called in the midst of apostasy, followed that, was led with those that would go with him, the, the righteous, to find another group of people that they could unite with and be strengthened by. Bear my testimony that we'll be able to understand that and do that well. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.